Do you have a favorite movie with trucks in it or oh, a trucking focused movie? Hands down. That's got to be uh, Smoking the Bandit. Smoking the Bandit. Old school. Old Love school. It. I, have a, I have a 77 Pontiac Firebird. Oh, That's there right. you I like go. It. That was my <laughs> midlife crisis car last year. So, yeah. Do you take it to the strip? No, not too much. <laughs> not too. No, I, I don't. But I, I probably drive it a little harder sometimes than I should. So... <laughs> Yeah, hands down. But that's that's right in my ear. You know, that's probably the first trucking movie that I see when I was a, a, a youngster. And I just, that's awesome. <laughs> the scene at the end of Smokey and the Bandit when he wants to give up and then the truck just comes around and mm -hmm. says, we're going to go all the way. And that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Any of that trucking, the, the startup scene for Smokey and the Bandit when you're underneath the truck, and that's still really cool. And that's just, yeah, I mean, trucking just gets in your blood. Hey everyone, and welcome to the podcast, Caution Wide Right. It's just another trucking podcast. And today I have the president and CEO of Peters Brothers Trucking, Brian Warner with me here. And for the last 70 years, Peters Brothers has been hauling freight from livestock in the 1950s to refrigerated freight, uh, loads coast to coast uh, for the last 30, 40 years now. Yeah. Um, they're a family owned company started with the brothers, George and William Peters. Ge George's son, Gerald Peters, took it over and uh, just retired and now Brian taking it over. Today, Brian manages 72-ish trucks, 120 freezer trailers, 85 employees. Uh, they are headquartered here in Pennsylvania and then a second hub in Wisconsin. Uh, they provide both LTL service, uh, truckload coast to coast, uh, transportation of frozen, dry, and fresh products. They offer on-site refrigerated cross docks and warehousing uh, to ensure products are fresh when delivered and just started a triaxle division. Uh, exciting, exciting things happening over there. Yes. Uh, so lots to talk about. So Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. So... Just to start things off, we're going to go into a little of the history. I'm curious, with the 70 years in the trucking history for the company, what are some of the more transformational periods for the company that you, uh, that the stories that have been told over the, over the decades? I think uh, some of the transformational periods, uh, they started in livestock, hauling livestock, team, team operation, yep. hauling a lot of livestock out of the Midwest to a lot of uh, packing houses here on the East Coast. Well, early 70s, late 70s, early 80s, a lot of those packing houses were closing up on the East Coast. And they were packing them and, and uh, shipping the product east and not so much the cattle. So in the early 80s, the shift was to diversify into refrigerated hauling. And they started out with hauling a, a lot of fresh mushrooms out to the Midwest and bringing meat back. And that transpired early 80s. And then I came aboard in the early 90s and diversified more into the reefer and the LTL part of it. We started a brokerage. And then the cattle business was just really drying up. So in 96, we closed that down and went all reefer, refrigerated freight. And you mentioned uh, closing up the, the livestock hauling in 96, but I also saw that last week it was announced that you have a new mascot. And <laughs> <laughs> tell, yes. tell me a little bit about uh, uh, Brandon. Yeah, Brandon, it, we 
social media is such a push right now. We have a lot of uh, younger generation and we wanted to get a mascot. And one of the things we're trying to do is, is get driver involvement and public involvement. So we put out a bunch of, a bunch of, uh, pictures and tried to decide on a mascot and he was the lucky winner brandon the cow brandon uh, the cow is that at a local uh, uh county fair or something it, it, or? it's actually uh, my my cousin's daughter she actually has them at our house and she <laughs> raises them and shows them at the fair so i think brandon's okay. gonna get uh 4-h is uh, the sales in two weeks so he's probably gonna go to a new home but for now he's uh, enjoying the good lifestyle that's exciting. And I've yep. seen, too, some of the fun photos on there. Uh, Peter's Brothers uh, branding on um, other racing. Uh, what is it? Not drag racing or uh, sprint car, or, car. Or modified. Yeah, we support a couple people that uh, race and, you know, try and support them and, yeah. and advertise. And it's it's a fun, fun thing. We have a lot of a lot of buy in with that with the employees. Oh, so. for sure. For sure. Uh, so for you, your background, um, I'm just curious, you know, you grew up, it's a family business. Um, how early did, were you associated with it? Did you ever think that you'd be in trucking as a kid? Um, no, <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I, I grew up on a farm and my father had trucks and he was leased to Peters. So growing up, my dream was to farm. But you get to high school and you realize it's not going to happen. It's just not profitable enough. And when I was in high school, my senior year, we sold the farm and, and downsized and I had to think of another career and I, and I liked driving. So I worked for a local freight company when I was 18 to 21. And then I went on the road for a freight company, um, from 21 to 22. But back then it was like working three days a week. Yeah. So I'd work Sunday and Monday, drive for Peter's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then work Friday. My, uh, freight job. And then it was 93. Jerry asked me to come into the office and dispatch and you know, just sort of evolved from there. You know, I, I always loved the trucking aspect of it, but the business aspect of it really took hold and we just grew it from there. And I'm curious because you started out as, as what I've seen as a dispatcher in 93. Yes. And as a West Coast kid, I know about the original load board that, uh, dial a truck. That's what DAT stood for. And it was, it was 78 was like the first time Jubit's trucks up there in Portland. And then in 95, they introduced uh, basically the first satellite real-time data system. I'm just curious, um, what was, what was dispatching like in the early nineties and how has that changed? Uh, dispatching, you had to plan ahead a little bit because there was no yeah. cell phones. Yeah. That's probably good and bad because now we're attached to the cell phone 24 <laughs> seven. Um, it was, uh, I think, a little more challenging, not as efficient. We used the DAT board. We also used a, a set of brokers that you get to this area, this is the broker you call. And it was not the variety that we could do today. Uh, the costs were less, but the rates were not as not as high. But you really had to plan ahead because if you dispatched a driver, he wasn't going to call you till he got there. Right. And if you made a mistake, you you had to live with it till he got there. So that, I think that was the biggest challenge back then. So moving to today, what would be like the hardest part of your job today? Is it managing the people, the, the clients, the equipment? All of that. <laughs> I, I think every day there's a challenge. If it's not an employee or it's not a customer, it's equipment related issues. And it's just a challenge all the way around. 
it's it's that's the biggest challenge nothing is smooth very long um no matter how far you plan ahead no matter how you try to make the right decisions things happen somebody's always either upset with something or or not happy with something but we work through it and but it, it's a combination of all of all uh of all three the equipment is is really disappointing um the amount of money that we spend on equipment nowadays and the amount of repairs that we have to do right out the box is is, is very challenging for us right now and then you guys have your own maintenance shop there as yes. well, right? Yeah, do you serve we, the community as well? Yeah, we just started to. Mostly we do our own, but we just started to yeah. diversify this year and try and do some of the outside work. Um, we also have a small repair shop in Wisconsin just to maintenance our fleet up there. Nice. And obviously, so, you know, with the people side, you know, I'm, it's always challenging managing people in general. But I do see social media. There's always the someone's celebrating someone that's been there for 15 years, 25 years longer. I'm just curious, what is the company doing right to keep people there so long? We just try and really treat our employees well. Um, the respect factor, it's, we try and, we try and compensate them well, but we also try and make them feel like they're part of the family. And, you know, everybody has issues, kid issues, whatever life issues. And we just try and accommodate the best we can. And I think that's, and we're, and we're true and we, we know everybody's name. We know their family um, and we just try and treat them well. And that's, I think that's some of our success because there's challenges no matter what job you have and yeah. no matter what you do, but working through them the best you can with respect, I think that helps. So on the challenging side, I mean, we've heard uh, obviously in the news recently is yellow uh, going out of business. Luckily, a lot of those drivers, uh, in the trucking industry, there's always hiring drivers, so I'm sure they can find something out there. Maybe not finding a, a union job, but something uh, that they can transition into. I'm just curious with sort of the, the that kind of news in spreading nationally, what keeps you up at night? Uh, a lot of things keep me up at night right now. It, the, the trucking business is, I, I think, extremely challenging right now for a couple factors. Uh, I don't know if it's over capacity. I think it's over capacity because the freight rates have really been depressed. Yes. The, the volume's down, the rates are, we have people hauling stuff below cost and all our costs have increased. The new yep. trucks are through the roof and the repairs and the parts probably have gone up at least double since pre-COVID. So all these factors combine to make a very challenging environment right now. And we've seen it before. This is, I was at yeah. Peter's 30 years. The peaks and the valleys, has always been part of this business, but I just think they're getting higher and deeper and it's, it's, it's really challenging right now. And I think yellow is a huge hit. They, they had some challenges for a while, but yeah. they're not going to be the only one going out of business. Correct. It's going to have to do some correction in this market, hopefully pretty quickly that we can get back to normal, but it's been, it's been challenging. Well, I'm curious cause what, 08, 09 was sort of the last freight recession. And I'm just curious, you know, COVID, uh, Crazy things happened. Everybody wanted to get in the business because of the rates. Uh, and then the the used truck market went, uh, everything's expensive now. Uh, and and then now with the rates going back down, they're not making any money or have way too much costs and can't survive. At least that's the, the, the smaller owner ops and things like that. I'm just curious, how, how does 
things look from 08 to sort of the freight recession type thing that we're facing today? I think it's similar. The difference I feel right now is our equipment costs are so much higher and the repair costs are so much higher. And, And our labor costs, everything is so much more expensive on the expense side. Uh, I, I, and maybe it's because it's at the forefront now um, for me, but it, I think it's worse than it was in 2008, 2009. So a lot of these guys bought new trucks and, and, and used trucks that were very expensive. And now that market has really dipped. Yeah. Like if you want to get out of that stuff, you're going to be upside down. Yep. So that's a challenge. Do you see, you know, the ATA has been saying it for, uh, I guess, a decade now that there's been a, a driver shortage. They've been projecting a driver shortage for a while. It was like 80, 60,000, 80,000 drivers, 100,000 drivers coming up soon uh, is what, they, what they're what they saying. Do you believe that we are facing a driver shortage with, with this kind of market that we're in as well? Or is it a turnover issue or is it both? I think it's both. Definitely a driver shortage of good qualified drivers. Yes. Um, it, it has eased up right now, currently. I think it's easier to hire some drivers. We're, we're blessed that we're just about full full of drivers with all the trucks filled right now. But we're not expanding either right now. You know, typically, we, if we have drivers, we'll expand, but we're, we're just holding our own right now. Um, it is a very challenging business to be a driver. If you're out on the road, our half our fleet is over the road, the rest are local pickup and delivery and being home at night. If you're a driver out on the road, there are some serious challenges with parking, with yes. with uh, being able to get proper rest, being able to eat properly. And the whole time you're out there, you're away from your family and you're also, you know, you're, you're not, you don't have a, you're not home with your family. You're not sleeping maybe as, as well as you should in your own bed. So all these things are against you, but there's there's a lot of good things, but it's especially with the generation now of, you know, the husband being more involved, you know, being a better father. My, my, my kids are better than I was, and I'm sure I was a step up from my father being a participant, but it's hard to be away and do this job. Right. And it's, that, I think, is the biggest challenge. Our, most of our over-the-road fleet is in upper age between probably 50 and 70. So to replace us, and we have some very good younger guys, but to replace that generation is just a struggle. I don't know where it's going to come from. Well, it feels like, you know, we're getting some younger guys in, but then like you sort of mentioned, it's will they stick around long enough like some of these longer guys that have been doing it for decades? That's to be seen. Um, well, I'm curious too, because um, obviously it's an interesting time. Um but there's been a lot of announcements at your company, adding the triaxle division, um, uh, expanding cross-docking and warehousing. I'm just curious, how's that growth and expansion side uh, to a degree, uh, how's that working out for you? It's working out well. I think we have to diversify. Yeah. We can't be in the same market and, and the same niche, you have to grow and adjust or you, you won't survive. The triaxle business seems to be doing really well. There's a lot of construction, especially in our area. And that has been very successful. We're blessed to hire some good drivers and has been, been, a, been a good thing for us. And it's a different, if it's a different driver pool. I think that's probably oh, yeah. why I was uh, uh, really for doing it because the drivers are the key to our success. It's, that's, 
long and short. And if we have a different pool of drivers that we can get to come in the door, it's a, it's a good expansion and to diversify that we don't have to count on the freight market, the reefer side and, and uh, the long haul freight, which is very competitive. And in the years to come, do you anticipate, are you planning for other growth or expansion anywhere else or see how uh, this goes for a bit? This, uh, I have a lot of ideas. <laughs> that's, that's uh, the, the economy has to get a little better. <laughs> I, I would love I would love to build a refrigerated cold storage. We have uh, oh, yeah. property right along 78 where we're at, and uh, it's just a challenge to get it pushed through right now because warehouses are a sore subject with local municipalities. They want everything the next day, but they don't want it. Everything's a sore subject. With Stor- <laughs> stored stored right next to them. So it's it's been a real challenge. Yeah, uh, that that I think is an area of growth, and um, yeah, I'm I'm open for any opportunity to just to be successful rather than just count on one thing. So switching gears into safety, I saw recently that you just posted that uh, you uh, your your company your drivers received the best overall safety score within your insurance captive. So that's a group of other. Uh, in fact, I think thirty six carriers in the captive, all trying to be the safest, and you guys are the safest. Uh, what safety programs or training or technology do you guys use uh, to to reach that point? Well, we have a we have a good dedicated surf safety uh, manager and. Ray Snyder, she, she manages the safety program very well. And we invest a lot in safety because if we feel if we put it up at the front end, it'll pay off in the back end. And we're blessed with a lot of very safe drivers and accidents are going to happen, but we want to try and minimize that. We try and use technology. Um, cameras are a no-brainer. Yep. If you're driving today in a truck and you don't have at least a forward-facing camera, that is just a no-brainer to have that. You, you just, it, we, it has saved us 10 times what we invested in the cameras because everybody's uh, recollection of the accident depends which vehicle you're in. So that has been tremendous. We also utilize inward facing and we get a lot of pushback from drivers. Hey, you're spying on us, isn't that? That's not the point. Our point is to improve behavior. We're not going to sit there and ridicule everything you do, but if you're caught, it does, it's only triggered by a, an incident. Or, uh, you know, if you have an excessive G-force, if you're not wearing your seatbelt, we're going to tell you about it. Because we don't want to report to your family, hey, your loved one lost their life because you weren't wearing a seatbelt. You know, that's the worst thing in our industry, I think, that you have to deal with if someone gets hurt. So we invest in technology. Everything we order new has all disc brakes. Um, we try and put the do the stuff at the front end, but the captive has helped us with their safety program and coming out and giving us advice on how to become better. And in the cap that we have a little bit of, I would say peer pressure to be the best. Right. You know, is there, is there certain requirements that if they, if a company joins the captive that they have to meet a certain safety tech threshold? Yes. Or what, yep. Yeah. What it's called a, a continuous improvement. Okay. So we set a bar um, of like 80 points. Mm. And you have to meet that. If you fall below that, you have to come up with a plan how you're going to do better. And we also do the, there's probably eight different categories. The bottom 10% are always going to be on the list. And there's always going to be the bottom, but hey, what can we do better? Yeah. And, and in a captive setting for us, it's very open. We, we go to these meetings and we know all the owners 
then we, we talk about what can we do better? What's working for you in hiring and recruiting? What's working for you in safety? So we're very open with ideas on safety because if your partners are successful, you will be too. And that's the, the huge benefit of, of the captive. Oh, yeah. Networking in general is always a huge benefit. Um, for those that might not know, insurance captives, uh, you want to do a quick rundown of uh, a, a captive versus? Yeah, yeah well, we're, we're in a homogeneous captive, which is all trucking companies. So we get like-minded trucking carriers, same, similar size. Um, we try and stay with non-has and, and, and not, uh, you know, not so many dump trucks or stuff, but we have some dump truck carriers, very successful, very good. And we all join together. We own our own insurance company. We put the risk with a reinsurer. They'll yep. take, we have the, the bottom couple hundred thousand on each accident within the group. And then we pass that risk on to a reinsurer. And then we have, a a captive manager that manages the group and manages the bottom claims. They, they provide us with safety consulting and claims management. Um, if there's an accident, they, they help us recuperate if someone hits us. So the captive, but if we do not spend what's in our excess Correct. funds and, and, our, and our primary fund, we put up some money right off the yep. bat. I would say it's roughly half the premium. If you're blessed that you don't have any accidents, which is rare, and your partners, you'll get X amount back. And if your partners in the shared layer don't have so many accidents, you'll get some money back. And it's the money part is, is a nice touch, but our safety record from now compared to when we join is night and day. Really? Oh my gosh, yes. I, that's it's we just do things differently. Yeah. Because we have the resources and working with a captive you want to do better and that's their goal. So they'll come out there. You just tell them here, these are the issues I have in the traditional market. I always felt, do I want to tell them what issues I have? Because when they're asking, it's at renewal time and how, yes. and how's my <laughs> honesty of the issues I'm having going to affect my rate and my premium. And the captive is based on results. Yeah. So the better you do your premium, you'll get some of your premium back. So you're, Hey, we call our safety advisor um, probably once every other month. Say, hey, what do you have on this? What can we do better? Where should we govern our trucks? What's what's working? What kind of technology is is should we be looking at? So that's been positive. I'm just curious if you were to onboard a new a, a carrier trying to join your captive. What's that onboarding process or timeline like? What are what are they looking for? Or what's those thresholds they have to meet to join a captive? Or well, they have to. They'll, they'll come out and get a, a safety assessment. Yeah, they will see where you're at. Where is the company at with safety? And they have to meet certain requirements. They can't be in any alerts, and they have to have a relatively a relatively safe company and, and definitely focus on safety. But the key to joining a captive is you have to buy in to participate yes. and you have to want to get better. And cause you're, you're very beholding to your partner's success. Your success is dependent on your partner's success. So we want to have people that want to do well with their safety. And, and it doesn't have to be perfect. We have people coming in with scores of 70 and in a year or two, they're up in the nineties because they have the resources now nice. and we're just looking for good partners that want to do well and, and want to better their safety score. 
Is there any kind of relations that you guys have as well? Like when a claim pops up, is the captive help with the claim process at all? Or? Oh yeah, no, hundred percent. We're, we have a, a specific claim person that we deal with a hundred percent on all the claims Yep. and she walks us through. And if, if it's our fault, she'll help with all those steps. If it's somebody else's fault, she'll help us subrogate. And same as workers comp, we have workers comp through the captive. They help us, you know, manage the claims, help us get them to the right doctor, you know, make sure the, the bills are correct. And they, they manage the bills in an accident. If there's health bills, they'll go through and make sure they're billed correctly. And, and, uh, hmm. you have a dedicated, you have a dedicated person that you talk to. I think one of the big things too, being in a captive is you have control over your claims. Like, Hey, do you want to pursue this? Do you want to fight it? Do you want to? Yeah. Do you exactly. want to settle <laughs> in the traditional market? They say, Hey, this is no, not I'm your, not touch that. this yeah. is not your money. You can do, we're going to settle <laughs> and you don't have a choice where yeah. here you have, Hey, you have a little bit of say, they'll advise you, Hey, this is the best financial move here, whether it's right or wrong, but it, it might be the best financial move to settle. And, but you have control and you're in on every claim from, they don't do anything without your approval. And if someone, uh, what fleet size do you tend to see? I, I know you're saying it's relatively similar fleet size, Maybe that's 50. If a truck, if a fleet had 20, could they potentially be at a level to get into a captive? Um, there's our smaller captives. There's several. Ca our captive is probably 50 to 200 okay. trucks, but yeah. they're smaller captives because there's a lot of, you got to put collateral up in the beginning. Right, exactly. And there's some requirements that it's a challenge for a smaller fleet to have a dedicated safety, safety personnel yeah. and, and stuff like that. But um, there's the, uh, I don't, 20 would definitely, I think, be able to find a good captive. So let's try and transition over to, to vehicle turnover. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on too was um, a lawsuit that uh, uh, suing the Pennsylvania government on uh, on the California carb emissions, the trucking emissions. Um, before we touch on some of that, I know I see a lot of really cool trucks being posted of, hey, this truck joined our fleet. Um, they're different colors, sometimes different types. I'm just curious, what's your favorite truck right now uh, joining the fleet? Uh, or on the fleet. Uh, <laughs> we, we got some, we, we run uh, predominantly Freightliner and Kenworth, and, and they're both very nice. They're very similar. Uh, they have a lot of good features. Both are, are about the same. I love the new trucks. I'm about fuel efficiency and economy. I mean, that's just from day one. I mean, I like cool looking trucks, but <laughs> I'm, I'm about the bottom line. So I like the aerodynamics and we just changed to a more modern paint scheme. So I think okay. the last fleet, the last, we still do multiple colors and, right. but the detailing and then the striping and stuff, we just changed our design to be a little bit more modern. So the last seven trucks that we got, those are definitely my favorite. And so for aerodynamics, do you add a lot of the, the top parts, the, the wings, the... Yeah, we, we put on as much aerodynamic, aerodynamic fairing as we can. We limit, we, we draw the line at the covers over the wheels, but beyond that, there's fairing down to the ground. There's fairings right up to the wheels in the back, skirts underneath the trailers. Um, Have you been able to get drivers to get 10 miles per gallon? Or? Uh, there's some empty you, they do. Yeah. Uh, we have some, some that consistently can do eight and a half, nine. Yep. Ah. And that's a lot of that speed. We pay a fuel bonus for, you know, we have a graduated scale and it, it all depends on the driver. If, uh, the speed they're going and taking off and, you know, slowing down. We have some excellent guys that can really make some money with the fuel. And, and when they make money, we're, we're saving money. So we're exactly. happy to pay it. 
that's, that's a I good mean, that's thing. where it's at. That's where you're going to save the most fuel is the person's. Oh, 100%. What's in their head and what's on their, One, you know, their 100%. <laughs> but the technology today and the trucks that we have are really, it's, it makes it a lot easier to get that done. Yeah. So, so with vehicle turnover, uh, I believe one article I've seen recently that uh, Peter Brothers replaces about 13 trucks each year. Um, and I know that, uh, and, and I think each truck on average does about 120,000 miles yes. uh, annually. I'm curious, I know it, it's all fluctuates with make and model and how many miles are driven per week and road conditions and everything. But on average, you want to turn over a truck, maybe if it hits that closer to 200 mile, 150, 200 mile range is when problems start to happen. I'm curious what your turnover schedule sort of looks like. Do you push it past that? Well, my goal was to, and we started this a couple of years ago, was at a half a million miles. Nice. I think I think that's the... I can't meet that right now. <laughs> We're pushing ours out. I canceled a bunch of truck orders right now um, just because of the economy. And it, we're, we're trying to get them out the door before a million miles. But we have some older trucks pre-emissions, which probably are still overall the least maintenance. We still have a few of those trucks that are 2 million miles. You know, oh, but wow. those it, it's time for those to go. So we're, we're slowly trying to, to wean those out and uh, get everything more modern. It's there's definitely some efficiency with fuel for sure. We can make some of that up, but it's been a real challenge here in the last year or two to replace equipment, so. Totally, and, and it's interesting with uh, vehicle, uh, sort of this transition um, with, or the vehicle turnover with CARB. Um, so we touched a lot of this uh, on our previous podcast with Rebecca with the PMTA. Uh, I, I give sort of a background of CARB and, and, and this history and why it's here in Pennsylvania and, and we're, we're held to those regulations currently. But um, what's interesting is right now uh, the California government is pushing extra pressure on CARB on this combustion vehicle turnover. Like they're complaining that well, they want zero emission trucks uh, by 2045 um, and in order to do that, they're complaining, saying that maybe half the trucks uh, will still be combustion engine by then is their expectation. And this is in California. Uh, but they're complaining that pollution is still over 70% uh, unbreathable air in California. Uh, and so they're, they're pushing CARB for regulations. Hopefully, well, they're, they're saying they want, they want information. How do they say this? The final report to the legislator by the end of this year that includes a framework that includes regulatory options to scrap uh, combustion vehicles and replace them with zero emission vehicles. They want fiscal incentives that support accelerated vehicle turnover, including, including differentiated registration to basically uh, fees for dirtier trucks to pay more. Um, and if they eventually get CARB to do this, the idea is the other 16 states that follow CARB would have to eventually adopt those stricter regulations as well. And the thing that's happening right now uh, with this current lawsuit that you, you and PMTA and a couple others are a part of is saying that it's against the rules. Like Pennsylvania should not be beholden to California, basically, regulations. I'm just curious, uh, what's what's your belief? What's this legal issue that that you see, and then how does it affecting Peter Brothers? 
Well, it, it, it frustrates me. We want a clean environment. The trucking industry wants clean air. We want a clean environment. But the regulations that are put into place are made, I think, without any forethought of the consequences. The infrastructure for electric vehicles is just not there. If I wanted to put in a fleet of 100 electric trucks, there's no way I could get the grid and the electric for it right now. And that's just a fact. And they're, they're asking to do things that they don't have answers for, which is commonplace, I think, in California. But for us to delegate our rulemaking authority to California without any of the legislators to have a say or any of the residents of Pennsylvania to have a say, that just doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Yeah. We don't have the same conditions in California, nor would we want to. Why would we give our right to make decisions for our own state to California? If it's a federal rule, we don't have a choice, but at the at least everybody follows the same rules. If they make it for us in 16 states, California included, it puts Peters Brothers and any trucking company in those areas at a, at a, at a real disadvantage. We're competing with trucks that can get sold in Ohio and drive through this state, yep. trucks that can get sold in Texas with at a cheaper cost. They're still coming through this state, burning the same air, putting the same exhaust out as we do, but now we're held to a higher standard and it's just unfair. It's just unfair and I think you just c- cannot sit down and always take what they give you. Sometimes you have to push back. I mean, it's common sense just says this is just cut and dry. It should never happen. Well, and touch on like the warranty piece. I mean, obviously the truck manufacturer or the the truck sellers um, in our state are also competing with out of state. Uh, Talk about how like the warranties and those kind of pieces affect it too. Right. So they're forcing you to buy warranty on the emissions. (laughs) And I don't know that they, how they can force anybody to buy a product that they don't want. Right. I mean, there's no control. They could, I'm not saying they would. The manufacturers say, hey, the warranty's three times what it should be. Um, but that's for the states in this car law, Pennsylvania included. So why would I buy a truck here in Pennsylvania? I have a good relationship with the dealers and, and I have and I want to buy trucks here. I want to be local. But why wouldn't I just go to Wisconsin and my other terminal, buy all the trucks there and just license them here and, and bring them in? There's there's no nothing to stop me from doing that. Right. And and why wouldn't I? And I'm not saying that. Warranty is a bad thing. I don't buy warranty. I, th- I think with these new emissions trucks, I'm going to look at it a little harder uh, and maybe do that. But don't force me to do something I don't want to. And there's no benefit. At the end of the day, if the emissions doesn't work, the truck doesn't move. Right. There's no way to get. I mean, so the warranty piece doesn't have anything to do with it. You have to get it fixed if you want to drive it. So it's kind of a moot point to tell us that, hey, if you buy warranty, the air is going to be cleaner because it, it doesn't. It doesn't do that. And forcing me to buy a warranty when my competition doesn't have to puts us at an unfair advantage. We're already at an unfair advantage right. here in Pennsylvania with our fuel tax second highest in the country. Our worker comp rate is probably the third or fourth highest in the country. And we have to compete with everybody. Trucking comes into this country, I mean, comes into the state from all over the country, yeah. provides the same service we do. So why would you put, want to put us at a disadvantage without any forethought? Or in the case of CARB, without being allowed to have any say in the rule. Right. And so if, if well, tell me, what's the process sort of look like for the lawsuit? What kind of timeline are we looking at do you expect? Um, I would suspect, and I, I really don't, they filed the lawsuit, and I think they're waiting on whatever they have to do, but I would think sometime this year. And so if the rule, if, if 
I mean, it would be pretty big news, and I'm sure a lot of other states would then follow suit uh, if if PM if Pennsylvania can set a standard of getting off of carb. Uh, but I'm curious that so that would then not set Pennsylvania to be on carb law standard. It would go back to the EPA, I believe. Correct. Um, and then on that side of it, then we have federal regulations with the EPA, uh, which are also pretty strict with, uh, you know, current, uh, you know, people in the White House right now and things like that. I'm curious, are there thoughts of, of or ways working with PMTA or others on fighting EPA uh, regulations as well? Yeah, I think, I think we all voice our opinion with the EPA. The ATA does. I know PMTA works with the ATA and, and try and voice our opinion to have common sense emission regulations. Right. Um, we can't just have pie in the sky, unrealistic emissions. But if you've been in this business long enough, look what the truck exhaust was in the 80s compared to what it is now. I, I read some statistic that it was like incredibly low, like one hundredth of what it was in the 80s. And you know, you when you pull next to a truck and they pull out, you don't even see smoke. You can probably just about idle a truck inside a building. You don't smell anything. You don't, these new trucks are super clean. We have exhaust now. All our exhaust goes out the bottom and we do not have any soot zero on the trucks underneath and, right. and no issues whatsoever. So we have come a long way. If we just continue down a path of sensible emissions and let technology catch up, we'll be in pretty good shape, but we can't force the industry to go electric and then have to have coal burning plants or, or, or fossil fuel burning plants making the electricity and polluting on one end and then forcing the, the trucking industry to, to take the heat on the, on the pricing and the cost to be, if, to be clean. Totally. I, uh, Elon uh, with, with Tesla has even said that the, the grid, the electric grid needs to grow 3x just to be able to support this EV transition anyway in 10, 20, 30 years. Um, and obviously that's why he's pushing solar as well and, and that the solar charging battery grid is sort of their goal uh, with this transition. And honestly, it was, uh, well, I guess the beginning of this month, they announced that while well, there's leaked discussion of a trucking uh, route from Texas to California um, that will have, I think, nine different trucking uh, specific EV charging uh, stations. Um, so it's like there's not even that yet out across the country. So long haul, it's going to be a long time. Right. Uh, so it makes sense slowing it down. On the flip side, you mentioned uh, vehicle maintenance and M miles per gallon are key to the way you look at it. I'm curious, does EV still sort of scratch that itch of there's not an engine to have to deal with, uh, it's just the motors and stuff, and then potentially charging and the, the, the gas mileage is much cheaper? I, I think there's a lot of potential. I, I like the idea of uh, EV if the technology matches it. I'm always open for new technology and better things. We looked at uh, natural gas and, yeah, and, and, and there too. for a while. I thought I was going to try that, um, but that was a little bit challenging. I, I think the EV has its challenges, though, with the batteries and the weight. Yep. And then what do you do with 
I mean, what, what's not talked about is what do you do with the old batteries if you can't recycle them? And, and what about all the materials that go into it that are toxic? We don't talk about that. I think that's part of the environmental picture that, that's not talked about and should be. But new technology, I think if we just continue on a path to strive to be better, in a, a fiscally sound path that we can all absorb a little at a time, and, and make things better. And technology changes every year. We, we get more technological advanced. The batteries get better. It'll come. But the challenge for right now, just to force everybody say, hey, this is great. Let's put everybody on electric without a way of actually doing it. Right. They just don't think of the end result. They don't yeah, think it through sometimes. it's not sometimes. just buying a, an EV truck. Then you have to buy a charger at your facility Correct. or more than one, which costs hundred to hundreds of thousands of dollars, I believe. And yeah, like again, it's just, it's pretty early still, but it's much further ahead than say hydrogen. But what's your thoughts on hydrogen? Cause that's the, that's sort of the other goal is for long haul trucking, that seems hydrogen fuel cell is that other piece. Uh, have you been following that as well at all? Not, not, a, not as much. I've heard about it. And I think it's just a little too new to be. It's too new for sure. Yeah. To, to be a, a serious contender. But that's my, that's my point of taking this at a reasonable speed and letting technology catch up. Uh, it is impressive to see where we've come and that's naturally going to go uh, further anyway. Um, but, but it's, it's interesting um, that whole transition and it's, it's coming. The other technology that's out there, what's, what's some of the other technology that you're either looking forward to, or you're saying like, Oh my gosh, please. No. I'm automatic trucks, uh, automation, uh, automatic trucks is a, is a, is a convoy. I don't know if that's it, another, it's automatic trucks are, are here. And that, that's a huge thing. It's, a, it's amazing. We have a lot of old time truckers and old school truckers and we, we have bought nothing but automatic trucks for the last five years. And now to get somebody out of an automatic truck and put them back in a manual truck, even the, the older generation is like, forget it. They don't want nothing to do with it. They want these automatics and it takes some of the thinking out. I, I look at automatic trucks as, hey, the driver has enough just to watch what he's doing and driving safe. You don't have to worry about shifting. And that was one of the big goals for me to switch to automatics. Um, that's a good thing. Technology-wise, whatever they're coming up with that's, you know, can make the truck safer. I, the autonomous thing, I just cannot get my head around the autonomous trucking piece. I think we have autonomous trucking right now. It's called trains. You yeah. load them on and they follow each other to California and then you pick them up and, and deliver them. So and there's someone still in the train, usually for inspection or something. That's the thing right. with autonomous trucking is I don't get is, yeah, okay, maybe you can make the vehicle go from destination A to B, but if it has to pull over on the side of the road for a maintenance breakdown, if it has to, does it do its own pre-trip inspection, post-trip inspection? Uh, like, <laughs> And just like with anything else, uh, the insurance industry yes. rules the trucking world yes. and what we can and can't do. And I, I just cannot get my head around an insurance company in, insuring a truck without a driver. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a pretty big leap. Um, so we'll see. I yeah. think that's a little farther down the road than what, what we're thinking. I agree. And I, especially in the trucking industry and, you know, even if it's, even if it's regional, even if they're doing it on, on the highway for a while and then what a driver jumps in later, or there's always going to be a driver in the truck. I don't know how, whatever that's going to look like. It's interesting to watch happen. Uh, but yeah, uh, the future of trucking now, and I'm curious on that side of it too. Do you see it 
potentially something like that. There's more and more need for truckers to deliver loads, the more and more need uh, to move freight. It's always growing. It wouldn't replace drivers necessarily either. It's just it's just taking a piece of it and drivers might have to shift. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's going to cut down the need for drivers. And if it cuts down the need for drivers, it might increase the need for a driver sitting in an office somewhere driving the truck or at least right. monitoring, it. monitoring it. So I don't know what the impact of that's going to be. Um, it's an interesting piece. If Peter's truck, if Brothers Trucking was uh, looking to hire, I know you're looking pretty good right now, but if you're looking to hire, why should a driver work for Peter's Brothers? Oh, that's a good question. We're a, still a family-owned company, and we still try and give the drivers work-life balance to the best we can. Over-the-road trucking is still over-the-road trucking. Um, you still got to be away from home. And we focus on safety. We, we want to be safe. We genuinely care about the drivers. And we try and have modern, up-to-date equipment so you're not broke down on the road. We spend a lot of money on maintenance, way more than I think we should on on these equipment for as, as new as it is. But it's just the nature of the beast post-COVID. So we're always trying to make sure the drivers can keep moving. And when they're moving, we're making money and they're making money and so and we try and balance work and life and try and give them some say and make them feel part of the the success of our our company because our motto is is just without drivers we can't do anything yeah drivers are the key the staff everybody's important but the drivers in a trucking company really really are key to our our success Awesome. Well, thank you, Brian, for joining us today. If you have any questions, want to learn more about Brian uh, or have questions for Brian or myself, put it in the comments below. I can pass it along. Uh, we can try to answer them. If you're looking for a job or uh, looking for more advice, uh, reach out to us as well uh, and check it out. If you want to know more information about the PMTA and the lawsuit, you can check out the other video uh, where we talked to Rebecca Euler on that subject. Uh, and like, subscribe, go follow uh, Peter's Brothers Trucking on, I know they're active on Facebook and, and elsewhere. So yep. um, check it out. And again, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And with that, stay safe out there.